Hi, welcome to Sustain Talks. Today I'm joined by Jonathan Bowring. Jonathan is a leadership and organisational coach. He unlocks the potential within leaders and teams and is often the person you call on when things get difficult. If ever there was a time that, that it was difficult, it would be right now. The world is not letting up and we're going to have to start thinking differently if we're going to live in a more sustainable and socially responsible way. Jonathan, welcome to Sustain Talks. It's so good to have you here. Please tell us a little bit more about you and your background and uh, look forward to hearing more. Well, thanks for having me, Sam. I'm really looking forward to our chat today. I started as a software engineer trained in computer science with Hewlett Packard um, and then moved across to Canon in my corporate career and actually uh, started to uh, lead the foreign language translation group for Canon. So that was like an operations group uh, and got me into the whole field of human language. And I found that fascinating, the, the intersection between our language and our culture and the technology and the devices that we use. Uh, inside Canon, I trained as a coach and that took me further into working with people. Uh, so as well as a leadership and, and management and line management of people, uh, I got into then helping people one-on-one -on -one with the issues that they're facing. And I think I've, I've always been fascinated by psychology and how we tick and how we think. Um, and eventually I moved on from Canon and trained at Henley Business School in coaching. And now I'm a coach. Uh, I work with teams and with individuals. I run workshops and I speak and particularly on thinking and decision making and bias. That's uh, really interesting and I, you know, I always want to understand more about uh, people's thought patterns and uh, the thought process. Can you tell us a little bit more about how that works? Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated by this area of, of patterns because as human beings, we, we're always trying to save energy. We're always trying to conserve energy and, and we know that in our daily lives. We, we have dishwashers and electric toothbrushes and we drive cars and we have remote controls we're always we're kind of programmed to save effort um, and we even find ourselves taking things to the dishwasher but not putting them in the dishwasher and if you've had children you've probably had that experience you know we we don't like expending effort and the thing is our brains are the same we we don't like to expend any more effort than is necessary so we're really designed to move things as far as possible into our own conscious so that we don't have to think about them. So when we first learn to walk, it's a very conscious process for a baby and eventually it becomes an unconscious process and so we can walk while we browse our phones or have a conversation. And it's the same with driving. It's, it's exhausting when we learn to drive and then eventually it becomes this automatic uh, process that we can carry on while we're listening to the radio or whatever. So a lot of our thinking is designed to become automatic and pattern based so that so that we don't have to constantly re-examine uh, every decision and, and second guess everything that we encounter you know when we sit down for our lunch uh, examining every food to think is it poisonous is it going to harm me or is it going to be nourishment that becomes automated and so much of our life is designed to be that way otherwise we'd never get anything done yeah and how does that then relate into work you know because sometimes you're in work and you're just you're getting on you're doing a job and then you have to 
think about um, another project and you really have to stop and think and search your brain, right? Yeah, and I, I think we probably know for ourselves how much effort it is to think about certain things, certain tasks, certain topics, compared with the things that we already know well and, and can do almost as we sometimes say with our eyes closed and can, sometimes we can literally do things with our eyes closed if they are so practiced for us so yeah there are some things that cost us a lot more effort um it's quite remarkable what we can get done automatically if we're used to it uh, i remember my aunt used to be able to knit and chat at the same time you know complex patterns and we can we can move things into our unconscious but in work that is helpful for a lot of the time and patterns are helpful for most of what we do 99% of what we do needs to be there in a pattern so that we don't have to think about it but the things that deserve our attention and require analysis and slowing down and that kind of cognitive load uh, sometimes need us to discipline ourselves and, and spend the time and effort uh, Barack Obama used to talk uh, famously about how he I think he just had two colors of suit um, available to him so that he just didn't have to decide. It's just one decision he didn't have to make. And he always wore a white shirt and a dark suit. And that just lifted that burden from him. So at work, we want to make sure that we are expending our effort on things that are important. Yeah, I um, sometimes find, probably heard this so many times, that I'm driving and I get somewhere and I think I can't I, I don't even remember how I got here I don't even remember the journey because it just came so naturally um, but um, yeah I think there's, there's probably so many different things uh, like that how do the thoughts shape our behavior in practice yeah I mean the, and your driving example is absolutely perfect that, that we can do that unconsciously while we our head is somewhere else and we can still drive this you know a ton of steel um without hitting anybody or anything um so how does it shape our behavior well so much of what we do becomes automatic so you know from childhood we're trained to clean our teeth and that becomes something that we just automatically do and eventually it doesn't feel right when we haven't um but if you think about patterns you know when i was growing up when you opened a can of uh, soup you threw the can in the kitchen bin and the same with jars and things like that. So our behavioral patterns get set quite early on. And if we don't think about them or nothing challenges them, then we tend to just repeat them and give our attention to the novel uh, and the strange, you know, that's how it, it tends to work. Um, when it comes to people, I think that's when it gets interesting. When we, when we're interacting with other people, if we have patterns laid down, then that can affect the way we perceive each other yeah and you know we always have a thought about someone before we know them and our thoughts control that but we need to change the way that we think about people and about about everything that we do so Absolutely. can you can you train that can you train your brain to think differently you can but it's, I wouldn't, I'm not going to say it's easy because, because we are, we have this underlying desire to, to just work from patterns. Um, and we're also by nature tribal. So what do I mean? In 
prehistory, it was really important when you encountered a stranger to figure out whether they were friend or foe. Are you going to collaborate or fight? Are they going to be wanting your resources, your food, your shelter, uh, or are we going to pair up? And so, you know, we're, we're naturally suspicious of people who are different from ourselves, and we're naturally predisposed to people who are the same. And those characteristics vary because it might be what our skin looks like. It might be the language we speak or where we grew up. Uh, in modern day, it might be the team we support. It might be the newspaper we read or the beliefs that we hold. We're naturally tribal and, and we reuse those patterns to feel safe with people who are like us. Um, but that's not always helpful. It, it can be limiting. And so to your question about can we change it? What tends to change it is our direct experience. So if you live, if you grew up in a multicultural environment, then you probably have more patterns to draw on. You still have patterns, you just have many more of them. If you've widely traveled, if you've worked with lots of different people, and if you haven't, then you can broaden your experience by spending time with other people, learning about other cultures that are not the same as yourselves, your own. Um, but a direct experience is perhaps the best way to widen your set of patterns so that you've you've seen people do and say things in different ways from yourself. Yeah, I guess that also comes around reading more and reading different books and watching different programs than you normally watch and just stretching your brain into different ways so that you're, I guess, also so that you're learning more and educating yourself more. Yeah, and I, I really like those examples um, you know, because that is where we choose consciously to be aware of our limitations and to say, I, I probably don't know everything about the world or there are things I, I haven't yet experienced. So I'm going to deliberately put myself in the way of them uh, or study them or learn. And there's no reason why we should ever stop doing that. Yeah. The world, you know, the world is large and complex, but it's also easier than ever to get uh, a broader experience of of culture and input the trouble is uh, although the internet is this in theory this kind of vast cornucopia of everything there is and all the knowledge and all the richness of human culture across the world it is that but algorithms and our own habits tend to drive us ironically down very narrow funnels um, and we're more comfortable uh, with the tribal again. We tend to find people who, who think like us, who behave like us, who maybe look and sound like us or have our interests. And that's, uh, the internet also allows us to do that. And algorithms, in fact, feed us that. You know, people like you bought things like this. People who listen to that song, listen to these songs too, and tend to feed you actually repetition rather than a variety. Yeah, I, I think it's why I like podcasts um, so much because you can search for topics and see a range of different people. I, I listen to so many different podcasts and it's one of my favourite things to do at the moment because you can listen and walk and, you know, it's good to be out in nature. Um, I, and I think that that's helped me to grow more. 
um, rather than, uh, you know, I find it hard to find time to sit and read a book. Um, and uh, I, I used to listen to books, but but podcasts makes makes a huge difference and is, is ever growing. But um, what kind of things do you other things do you recommend that people can do? And especially around work, because I think that's where we're often affected by our beliefs and our biases that we need to change are there things that you can recommend that businesses and leaders can do yeah deliberately varying your input sources like like you were saying more in the you know in the personal realm you can do that in business too so read different journals than your usual ones different periodicals um read the ft if you don't normally gives you a different slice of life um whether your politics matter in the job that you do i don't know but for some people maybe if they're left-leaning or right-leaning buy or read the other online newspaper of the you know, the opposite side try to you know understand different points of view um, and this is this becomes important when we're trying to uh, persuade people as well we do need to understand what other people believe um, and too often we can stay in our own bubble and as a leader for sure we need to foster an environment where we can have our thinking challenged so with our own teams with our own people we need to make sure that not only can people uh, let's say be heard which is uh, often said not just be heard but be influential so we, we want as a leader need to be open to modify ideas to incorporate other people's suggestions to start to see our function not as being right and knowing everything but as just being the, the the guiding hand as being the facilitator as just seeing what needs to be done and mobilizing people so taking input from a variety of sources and, and simply using other people's brains because they have different biases and different prejudices but that that really helps to enrich the soup yeah i um I, I'll admit, years ago, not so much anymore, but many years ago as a leader, I would organise meetings with my team and I'd say, let's have a conversation about um, this project. And then I'd say, these are my ideas. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I want to do. And I wouldn't give other people the chance to speak. So and I, I went on some training actually and they said you know they said why do you do this and like if you stop and let others speak even though you've got those ideas in your head you'll find that they come up with those ideas and then they feel more empowered and I think that's really important as a leader sometimes to you know what the answers are, but to encourage your team and make them feel valued by um, sharing their opinion rather than pushing yours on them, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I often have this discussion with leaders. Just, and the question I ask them is, when you gather your team around you for a discussion, why are you doing that? What is the purpose of that meeting? Um, if you've already decided on a course of action, and that all you're doing is informing, then let's be clear that I'm just informing you this is what's happening. If you've broadly decided, but 
you know, there's a bit of wiggle room, you might reshape the edges, then let people know, you know, this is what I want to do, but I just want to consider your input. Or if you genuinely haven't decided or you genuinely don't know, then then it's a consensus or a democratic type of meeting as let's just share our ideas. What is your thinking? Because actually, I don't know, and I am the leader, and I'm not ashamed to say I don't know what's the best course of action. But I think being clear is helpful. And so I would I would go with what you say. It's good to get people's contributions. And you might think you know, but I would I would even advocate suspend that. Suspend I know what to do and, and stick with the not knowing and saying there may be somebody around this table and I might need to draw out their thinking because they're quieter, but they may have something that will really change the course of action here. And I need to be open to that. Yeah. And as a leader, it's always important that you surround yourself with people that know better than you in certain topics. So, you know, it's, it, you, you need to make space to to hear them too but this definitely comes into people feeling valued as well which you know at the moment a lot of businesses are losing their uh, employees because they're not feeling valued and you know with everything that a company offers that's the number one thing um, how can a leader make their employees feel more valued within changing their thinking yeah we know that there are some key factors that motivate people in general human beings um, and dan pink has done some great work summarizing this if people feel they have autonomy uh, that that is that they have freedom to make decisions if they feel that they have uh, a growing mastery of their craft their tasks their responsibilities and if people feel that they're connected to a purpose they know why why they come to work and what it contributes to and those are all really strong motivators for people so if leaders can allow those three things and promote those three things so you give autonomy and responsibility you allow people to progress and they get trained and they get and they feel that they are developing uh, and also they understand what's going on and why and what their contribution is, um, you know, what the organization exists to do and what it serves. Those are the sort of things that in the end make people feel valued um, much more than free food and um, slides and table tennis tables. Yeah, I've had that conversation so much recently that companies think by giving people a piece of fruit in the morning that they're going to feel grateful for that. But it is, it is it's so much more than that. Um, if you could, uh, just as we're coming to a close, if you could give one piece of advice to leaders that if they were going to make a difference to their organisation and the way they lead within their thinking, what would that be? It is that openness. And this is something that I think I didn't learn until later in my career. And I wish I had learned it earlier. Yeah, that sense of not needing to know the answers, not needing to be right, not needing to see the path ahead so clearly, but to collaborate and co-create and involve your people, uh, listen to them. And, you know, that plays into, of course, uh, inclusiveness and diversity and making sure that you have not only diversity 
ethnically and culturally, but also in diverse diversity of thinking. Um, so yeah, that openness to have our thinking challenged. Uh, I, I do love to provoke people to think differently uh, and to break free of the patterns that we've laid down and be open, encourage contribution and act on it, not lip service. Yeah. Do you think, um, my, in my last question, that, you know, often we go into a meeting with our teams and we sit around a table and say, right, we're going to have a brainstorming session. What does everyone think about this? Let's go around the table. Do you think that there's a different way we should be um, helping others to be more creative in their thinking? Brainstorms in studies have been shown to produce fewer creative ideas than people working alone, interestingly. So it's worth bearing in mind, you know, why are you doing a brainstorm? It does promote a sense of involvement and engagement. It surely gives us that. It doesn't necessarily produce the broader spectrum of ideas. Why is that? Well, when you sit down and say, let's just share our thinking, people who are more extroverted will speak first. Or as you said in your own example, when you're the leader, sometimes you're tempted to share your thinking first. And we're very sensitive to power dynamics and hierarchy. So if somebody starts to speak and they seem confident, whether they're the leader or just a, a very confident individual, we'll send, tend to fall in line and start to shape our thinking in, in the same way. Quieter people who need some space for reflection or need some time don't get much of a share of a brainstorm and we may lose their thinking. So this is what I mean by, you know, diversity of, of style and personality as well as as well as other aspects of diversity so brainstorming can work it can also be aided by for instance giving people some time for a few minutes in silence to collect their thoughts or allowing people to follow up afterwards with their thoughts or sometimes allowing people to prepare in advance and share their thinking you know by email before the meeting there's all sorts of ways of maximizing it but just simply saying let's all talk now uh, doesn't work for everyone. No, it probably doesn't work for many. The amount of times that I've been in meetings where I've been part of that brainstorming and it's just really not been very um, well received and well managed. Um, and, and I also take responsibility for that as well. Um, this has been really interesting and it's certainly got me thinking a lot more. Uh, I find the times that I think best is when I'm on my walks and out with nature. And um, I, I think your point about uh, uh, creating a more diverse and inclusive uh, workforce definitely creates a better thinking um, and different cultures. So thank you for sharing everything that you've shared with us today. I'm really pleased that we did this Sustain Talks and uh, yeah, I look forward to speaking to you again in the future. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Sam.